You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. I will be win or learn, and today we learn. Adacha, Austin, shot at Isabel. It's infield to Mare, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Pella. Onside, 1-0. Blue foul shot. Oh, my word. It's unbelievable. He ran around a bit like Bambi on ice. It'll be very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans, and available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markson. I am the host of the show, and no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. I hope you enjoy it. And we are here this week to talk about perfectly executed game plans, game plans that you spend weeks or maybe just days preparing and getting in line, and it all going off exactly as you would have hoped. Only that's not what happened. Uh, After several weeks of preparation, uh, of almost, I won't say flawless preseason, but a pretty good preseason, uh, Saints showed up to Burnley, and it all went wrong. From the weather, um, to uh, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg's health, to just the way the game played out. It just didn't go well. And uh, I think that's all I can say at this point, um, is that it's for the first game. It's a long season. There's plenty of time uh, and plenty of, I think, hope that the team will turn it around. And it's also maybe a, a pretty decent reality check, but we will talk about that with Luke Osman. You probably know Luke's writing mostly from Reed Southampton. You can find it. Uh, you can find him, I should say on Twitter at Luke Osman RS and at Reed Southampton. Um, and if you want to get in touch with them that way, that is good. If you want to write for Reed Southampton, that is there. But mostly, he has been putting out some outstanding articles recently, and you should be sure to check them out. Uh, so head over there to do that. And I just wanted to say a couple of things before we get to uh, the podcast with him, is that Jeremy Orr, uh, a Bay Area Southampton fan, uh, drove down to my house yesterday. Um, he is the first other Southampton fan I have welcomed into my home. Uh, we then got in the car and drove further south to Los Angeles uh, to watch Josh Sims hopefully make his uh, MLS debut um, with very little fanfare from the New York Red Bulls. Uh, And the problem was, is that he wasn't making his debut. In fact, he wasn't on the bench, nor do I think he was actually in the building, but Jeremy and I had a great time anyway. Uh, It was good to see the stadium. I'd never been in that stadium before. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I think we enjoyed it. Uh, I had a good time. I really enjoyed getting up and going to school today. Uh, My first day with students back, it was fantastic. Um, And even more fantastic was when we got home uh, just after midnight last night to my house from Los Angeles. Um, my dog got sprayed by a skunk. So that was great. Anyway, I hope you're having a great day. It basically only gets better from here. And that's because I have this conversation with Luke Osman. Uh, but one more thing before we get there though, I just wanted to give a shout out to the newest patron of the show, Luke Millard. Thank you so much, Luke, for joining uh, Patreon and supporting the show. It's been great to, to have a chat with you. Uh, privately, but uh, I just wanted to publicly say thanks. So if you want to get involved uh, like Luke, uh, get access to extra podcasts, uh, a private chat, things like that, uh, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash SFC delivery. Um, 
But if you don't want to do that, that's also fine. Just enjoy the show because that is really what is most important. All right. So um, here's my conversation with Lou Gossman. Uh, have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. I'd like to welcome back to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Luke Osman. You can find him on Twitter at Luke Osman RS. You can get his writing at Read Southampton and several other outlets. Um, Luke, you were just on a couple of weeks ago for the season preview, or we recorded a couple of weeks ago. It went out last week, but uh, welcome back and uh, welcome back to the 2019-2020 season. Uh, thank you very much for having me. And it's, it's a shame that we can't speak about a win or even a draw on the first game of the season, but it's good to be back. I, I remember thinking, you know, last last year thinking back to where I was when I watched the opening game of the season and just went like man like that was that was really boring and really bad and then yesterday wishing it could be really boring and really bad because it was it was just really bad and not boring and for the for all the wrong reasons but but it is what it is and uh I guess it's a you know if we start slow we just have to build and 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 finish but uh we'll we'll get into it um I mean you've been on recently but anything uh, maybe read Southampton wise or anything else, any, anything uh, new or exciting in, in with you? Yeah. So with regards to read Southampton in line with the start of the season, we as fresh press media, the company, we're, we're changing our approach. So we're leading with more fan based and opinion driven content. So that should resonate with maybe the club supporter base a little bit more. And as such, I'll be running read Southampton on a full-time basis now. So it's quite an exciting project. We're, we're kind of hoping to become the hub of Saints' media, not necessarily by news and new information, but by opinion and analysis. So anyone's welcome to write for us as well. Just get in contact with me or, you know, however you want, because the more Saints fans we've got writing for us, the better. And I'd love to hear from anyone who's keen. All right. Uh, is Twitter the best way for them to get in contact with you about that? Yeah, Twitter's, Twitter's the best way, at Luke Osman RS. You can DM me or you can alternatively email me luke at freshpressuk.com all right uh, i will put links to that in the show notes and uh we'll we'll make sure that people get in touch with you if they want and and that is a that is a big change because it used to be um kind of you guys used to break news a lot and and i noticed a lot even with your articles recently they've been uh really with around I think a lot of the new transfers you, you put together pretty substantial pieces of, of analysis on their play and talking to, you know, maybe journalists that had covered them before. And I think that's the stuff that, um, I mean, me personally, that's the stuff I enjoy reading. And I think, um, just, I, I think it, it shows that, I mean, your, your writing is great, like, you know, and, and now you get to show it a little bit. And I think that's, I think that's nice. I hope that it comes, I hope that sounds correct or comes off the right way. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, that kind of approach now that allows writers like myself to have a little bit more freedom to give our, our own verdicts. You know, the stuff with regards to talking to journalists or doing player analysis had, had always existed, but it hadn't really been the focal point. Okay. So now we get to really hone in on original content and giving our opinion on the news that breaks instead of just breaking it. So hopefully that comes across as a bit more enjoyable for Saint supporters to read. And I'm looking forward to continuing. All right. All right. Well, I'm, uh, on that note, will you be putting together something on on Danzo coming in, or is that uh, will somebody else be be on that? Uh, yeah, we'll we'll be looking we'll be looking at what we can do on Danzo. I'll I'll try to do a little bit more analysis on his sort of style of play, but where the transfer came about so quickly, it was all yeah. it was all a bit of a whirlwind how it all came about, and then the Burnley game was upon us. But no, I'll I'll definitely. I've looked it into Danzo. I've seen him play a few times before, but I'll be looking to do some more in-depth analysis on him. So, you know, look out for that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be, I'll be looking forward to it. 
I, I guess for the, for the show this week, I mean, we have to talk about the close of the transfer window. Uh, we obviously have to talk about uh, the match that was Burnley away. Um, and, and there's some other news around, around saints and maybe we should uh, lead with it because just it's, you know, things are bigger than, than football, but um, Justin Gladys, who was longtime the PA announcer at the stadium. Um, sadly, it was announced that he passed away. Uh, I found out about it yesterday just before the game. And, um, I am, I'm not a season ticket holder. Uh, so I'm not, I haven't been around. I haven't had maybe an interaction or even, I don't know if I've ever heard him on the PA at the stadium, but, um, I mean, for you, who's had a season ticket for, for several years, I mean, do, do you have memories or anything that, that jumps to mind when you, when you think about the kind of the impact he had just on the, on the fans or on the team or on match day or, or whatever it was? Yeah, it, it was really sad news about Justin. I think it came as a shock for a lot of people. Um, I never met him personally or really came into contact with him, but those who did only have good things to sort of say about him and their interactions with him. He seemed like a really nice and genuine man and his voice over time became sort of synonymous with the lads walking out of the tunnel at St. Mary's before games kicked off and he'll be a big loss to match days. Of course, my thoughts and condolences go out to all of his loved ones and his friends and those who, who were close with him and I'm sure everyone will be appreciative of all the well wishes and the fond memories that have been put forward on, you know, things like social media. And yeah, it's, it's very sad, but um, yeah, thoughts go out to his loved ones and those who have have lost someone who they were very close with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's losing someone's not easy. And, and for us as, as fans who have a a certain type of connection with him, that, that, that pales in comparison to, to what his family is, is going through. So definitely, um, our thoughts are with them and, and we hope that they're, you know, we, I just hope everybody's doing okay. Cause it's not, it's not easy and it's not something you wish on anybody. And, and I just hope that he's, uh, that they are all doing okay. Um, but I mean, for uh, over 19 years, uh, as the PA announcer, he's definitely had an impact on, on all of us. Even I can say that, that watching on TV, um, the coverage always, you know, jumps to, um, in as the guys are walking out and you can hear him uh, over the PA on, on TV even. And so that, I mean, that just that in and of itself next week will be different and it will be noticeable and it'll be, it'll be, I'm sure difficult for a lot of people around the club who were close to him and, and definitely his family. So I hope everybody is, uh, like I said, I hope everybody's doing, doing all right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's terrible, terrible news. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it is, it is very, very sad and we can only sort of, think of and hope that everyone sort of associated with him is okay. It will feel weird for that Liverpool game hearing another voice over the over the tannoy. Um but I'm sure the club will do something to commemorate him and he won't be forgotten in a hurry. Right, right. Um I mean, I don't know how to transition from that to to the game, but I'm we're going gonna do it. Um the Basically, I mean, it's the first game of the season. You would hope that it would start a little bit better than it did, but um, it it really it really wasn't great. Uh, first off, the the team sheet, the news that that Hoiberg could, couldn't start, he was ill or not feeling well or or something. Um, I think that was initially the first thing that that jumped out to me on the uh, when when the team sheet was was released. But um, for you, uh, when you see the team that is starting, were you, were you a bit disappointed that it was three at the back or was that kind of predictable? Um, or was there, was there anything else, uh, there that, that you thought maybe shouldn't have been, shouldn't, shouldn't have happened? I thought the formation was okay. I'm not 
the biggest fan of five at the back. And I, I personally prefer to see natural wide players in the attacking roles, especially now that we've got the likes of Gineppo and Buffal at our disposal. But it was kind of expected after the two friendlies against Feyenoord and Cologne because they saw the same shape. I was initially, I think, like everyone else, bemused by Hoybier's exclusion, but it turns out that he was ill, so I guess it's understandable that he didn't he didn't have the capacity to start the game. So, in all honesty, the only change I'd have made, aside from perhaps the system, would have been Yoshida instead of Stevens in the back three. But aside from that, I didn't really have all that many qualms with the team sheet that Ralph put out. Yeah, I thought I thought that was a bit interesting as well. Is is Yoshida? seem to have been playing quite a bit and and this is the first time i've been able to watch the team um the friendlies weren't televised internationally and so you know this this is the, the really the first look i've had other than highlights uh, but i would have expected yoshida to to be in there but um he wasn't chosen and and so we, we have to go with it and i saw some people you know unhappy with jack stevens uh, but i i don't know i don't know who to who to put blame on and we'll we'll, we'll get to that stuff but um, I mean, I I was just happy that we had those attacking players that Jay Adams, Danny Ings, and Nathan Redmond up top. I thought we would have caused them more trouble uh, going forward than we did. Um, but uh, but yeah, and, and I think that the the formation itself uh, leaves you exposed a little bit in midfield, and I think that's something we we know. And I don't know if that uh, luckily Burnley didn't try to do that. They didn't try to play through the midfield. They just went over the top. Uh, constantly, which I thought we would have been better equipped to deal with a little bit, but uh, there you go. Um, were you happy to see Janapo on the bench, uh, or surprised at all, or do you think uh, do you think he would make the bench uh, just based on the fact that he's been in training now for a couple of weeks and made a, a brief appearance in, in the last friendly? Yeah, I mean, I was pleased to see him on the bench. I think that he will find himself out of the starting lineup quite often throughout this season, just because of the attacking players that we do have at our disposal. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him yesterday, if I'm honest. I think that perhaps his pace and his dribbling quality would have helped us break down Burnley a little bit more. But I didn't I didn't expect him to start, and I, I don't expect him to for a little while. I think it's important with a player like that to give him some time to bed in and to settle. But it's good to see him on the bench, and ultimately, with regards to our attacking depth now, you know, one senior player will miss out. Yesterday we had Bufal, Gineppo and Obafemi on the bench and it meant that Shane Long and Stuart Armstrong, for that matter, weren't actually in the match day 18. So it's a reflection of the strength and depth that we've got, but we looked toothless yesterday. So it's, it's difficult to it's difficult to really just sort of take the positives from that and from that depth when performance was as poor as it was. Yeah, and uh, I just, for me, I was thinking all summer and looking at our midfield and looking at the formations we've been playing, that a midfield was our, our strongest area, maybe of the team, maybe the most solid. Um, but then all of a sudden you have a an ill peer in Mohoyberg still in the match day 18, because if something happens to James Ward-Prowse or, or Romeo, who else are you going to bring in? I mean, there's nobody else on the bench that's going to come in and do that. Um, and, and Armstrong wasn't there. So uh, maybe slightly worrying, but maybe it's just panic and, and nitpicking a little bit, but uh, we'll, We'll figure it out. I'm sure as we as we move along. Um, overall, I don't think there was much to complain about, and I think it's going to be, and there's going to be a lot of competition for places, especially in those attacking areas, uh, which will which will be good. Um, uh, getting into the first half, um, was there was there anything really that that stood out to you in terms of of what Saints did well at all, or was it? Because uh, if I if I'm if I'm really honest. I didn't know who the manager was. 
and and I would just turn the game on. Um, there wasn't a huge amount of difference maybe between what we saw last season under Hughes or even maybe the season before under Pellegrino and what we saw yesterday for large parts. We had a lot of a lot of possession. Uh, we didn't really press very well. We didn't force them into very many mistakes. Um, I think a lot of that maybe was due to them just going long quite a bit. Um, and but uh, I don't know. What did you make of, of of the first half and kind of what stood out to you? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The press wasn't anywhere near as intense. And against Burnley, the approach that we tend to favour was always going to be a bit difficult because more often than not, when you when you press opponents into either making a mistake through hesitation on the ball or that they send a long ball upfield, you have that chance of regaining possession and then winning that second ball. But unfortunately, Burnley are probably the best long ball team in the league. So we found ourselves kind of, in some parts, mimicking how they approach the game tactically. And no one can really outdo a Sean Dyche team when it comes to this brand of football. Mm-hmm. So a key part of Hasan Hootel's style is, and he alluded to this in a recent interview with the Daily Mail, is that when a long ball upfield is played, if possession's lost, a counter-press can be initiated and we can suffocate teams high up the pitch. But with Burnley, long balls are their bread and butter. So the likes of James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee were excellent yesterday and they snuffed out any danger. Uh-huh. So when those balls are played and they can deal with them, with, with relative ease, the likes of Danny Ings and Shay Adams became progressively quiet as the game went on. Yeah, I think, it, I think it leads to them just running themselves out, running themselves into the ground and chasing what essentially becomes lost causes. And it's, I mean, obviously it's not what you want. And it, it kind of took our, our approach away. And we have a, a pretty good question from a Burnley fan um, that we'll, we'll get to a little bit later. But um, one thing that I, that I noticed that, a couple of times we switched the ball from left to right, um, got Valerie on the ball kind of at an advanced position. And I thought that's kind of what came, what gave us our first real chance of the game. Um, Adams went just wide up from across. Um, and I got, I'll be honest, we were six or seven minutes in and we hadn't scored and Adams had missed that early chance. And I kind of thought like, Oh no, like this is not good because we haven't, we haven't gotten ahead and gotten on the front foot. And sometimes I think that's all it takes. And, and it didn't happen, but I don't know. I, I just the, the ability to, to switch the ball like that and, and, and change kind of the, uh, the focus of the defense I thought was good, but I don't think we did it kind of nearly enough. And I'm not really sure we created enough clear opportunities to, to have a, a, a real shot at goal rather, rather than just maybe having a, a half chance or so. Yeah, exactly. And I think that even in those kind of situations, if you put in a good ball into the box, as Valerie did for Adams, you need to make those chances count because, as I said, Burnley are good in the air. Burnley know how to cope with crosses at the best of times and, and they're a good physical team. Hasenhutl's style works best when there's space to burst into and when the other team has a greater share of the ball. But Burnley don't care about possession. They, they don't push high up the pitch as such, so there's little space in behind to, to play the vertical penetrative passes that this team tends to now under Hazen Hootel. Mm-hmm. We were, we seemed quite in control and untested until the goal actually went in. But Burnley seemed pretty comfortable with just sitting back and soaking up the pressure, letting us keep the ball without really doing a lot with it. So it, we were looking towards sort of finding the wings a little bit more, but ultimately I think Burnley clocked on to what we were trying to do quickly and after Valerie's ball into the box, there wasn't really another good one. Right, right. Uh, Kind of the first real moment of concern for me uh, defensively was Angus Gunn came for a ball and I thought for sure he carried it outside the area. Um, I thought we were going to be punished for that right away. 
especially with VAR looking at stuff and, and, you know, if it's a clear and obvious error, they're going to, they're going to flag it and, and it didn't happen. So I was, I was, I was happy that didn't go, but it was just one of those instances where like, this is, this is too early in the season. It's too early in the match to be kind of giving away chances or even making it, even making it close. Um, there was a, a kind of a decent shot after that from, from James Ward Prowse, uh, just happened to be right at Pope. Um, and then I think we get to the, the part where I think fans are, are I, I mean, I'll ask you, do you, do you see it sometimes on Twitter or social media or just even in person where we don't like Jack Stevens necessarily We some people have, uh, we have memories of Jack Stevens making mistakes. And so when he slips and, and Brindley go in, even though it's, it's eventually flagged offside, um, where from now on, Jack Stevens is going to take the blame for mistakes that maybe aren't his. Um, do you, do you see it that way or, or is that me just going too far and trying to defend him a little bit when it's, when that's unnecessary? I think there's, there's a balance between the two. If I'm honest, I think that, over time, he has become something of a scapegoat. But I'd also say that that's because he is the defender, in my opinion, who makes the most glaring mistakes. And for me, I don't think he should be anywhere near the first team. In an ideal world, we'd have sold him in the summer. I, I think that he's a championship defender at best. But ironically, and I don't, I don't mean this as a compliment towards him, not that that would be a bad thing, but it's more a reflection of how bad our defenders were yesterday. He was probably the best of the three. And... You know, that, that incident where Wood did eventually tap home after Barnes had run through, it, it was kind of it, it was kind of symbolic of Stevens. It was that he, he got let off the hook with regards to VAR, but that slip is, is something, and it, it's the type of mistake that we've seen so often from him. And so often he has cost us points in valuable situations mm-hmm. that that reputation has become associated with him and, and those mistakes do come about. So he is scapegoated. When you look at the team, you do think, oh, you know, it's good. But then you've got Stevens. Kind of, why are we playing with 10 men? And I am very much of the opinion that he shouldn't be anywhere near the first team. I don't think Maya Yoshida's an outstanding centre-back by any means, but I think he's a better player. And in turn, that means that fans do kind of look towards Stevens, whether they mean to or not, as, as the culprit for a lot of our downfalls. Now, yesterday, I think that he didn't have a good game, but no one did. And I'd say that out of him, Bednarek and Vestergaard, he was probably the defender who was the least worst, if you like. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. And, and like you said, the, the mistakes that he has made in the past definitely mean that, that we look at him to, to, uh, as a mistake, as mistake prone. And just like, you know, Mayashida, I think, at least for me, has played himself out of that, but it's taken years you know, and still, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of us trust him as the, as the rock at, at the back. I don't think he is that. I still think he's there. There's the, the possibility that he makes a mistake maybe, or, or something like that. But, but I think it's taken a long time for him to change people's minds. And I think with Stevens, it's going to be the same thing, but I don't think, I don't think we're going to have the time with him for to do that. I don't think he'll see much of the team, um, once, once Danzo comes in, I think, and and we'll we'll talk more about him because I have questions about Danzo, and and maybe we can or can't answer at this point, but uh, we, we'll we'll get to it a little bit later. But um, like like you said, I was I was a little I was slightly impressed with with Stevens yesterday, just because 
he seemed to do uh, a lot of sweeping up behind Bednarak and Vestergaard as they would step out, not to press somebody, but to step out to the ball and the ball would kind of go in behind or and Stevens would just come over and kind of knock it out of play and, and, and call it good. And I think that was that was good enough. There was a lot of no-nonsense kind of defending from from our back three, I think. And I thought that was just, just play it safe, just keep it simple. You don't have to, uh, you know, we don't have to try to play these tricky passes in situations we can just kind of get set and, and defend. Um, unfortunately you're doing that against Burnley who are, you know, probably the best at, at, uh, breaking that down just by putting balls in the box and, and seeing what happens. But, um, I, I don't know, would, would you say that we were the better team in in the first half? I mean, go, we go in nil nil, uh, at halftime, but I thought that even though the press wasn't working, um, I still thought that we were kind of in control for the most part, even if we didn't create uh, enough chances for us to really be happy. And even if we really didn't look necessarily like a Haas and Hoodle type team that we've seen uh, so often down the stretch last year and even during preseason this year. Yeah, I think it, it felt it very much had the essence of first game of the season. I think that there were a lot of missed time passes. I think at times uh, team, both teams took their foot off the gas and mistakes did sort of come about. I, I don't, I don't personally think that we were the better team. I thought it was quite evenly matched throughout, and it was just sort of in the second half when Vestergaard obviously made that mistake and Barnes scored that the the kind of the tide changed. But it was very, it just seemed a very stagnant game. It, it seemed like it was just sort of heading towards a nil nil or a narrow one nil either way, and. It was just quite. It was quite dull. It was quite bland. I don't think either team attacked with any real urgency. I think that we've become sort of associated with that pressing, high-intensity brand of football, and we weren't really able to employ it because of the the factors that I mentioned earlier about how Burnley were, you know, were quite comfortable with going long. So forcing them into mistakes is often quite a difficult thing. But still, we, we looked toothless, I think, and Burnley didn't exactly look threatening in the first half anyway. But obviously the after the interval, it was a it was a different story. Yeah, absolutely, and I think so often we've seen, at least my my remembrance of of last season and the, maybe the past couple was after halftime. We never really seemed to come out and be fired up. We we seemed to be kind of slow coming out of halftime, uh, slow restarting the game under previous management, and then under Hasenhutel, that was one of the things that I thought I thought was a change. With the, they went in at halftime, there was always something they came out and did better in the second half and it just didn't happen today or yesterday or whenever, by the time you listen to this. Um, and so for me, that was maybe something that was a little bit concerning. Um, I was, I was happy enough, I guess, to go in your away. It's the first game of the season. Uh, it didn't go well, but it's still, you know, it's still, you're still in the game. You still have a point. Um, you can still count it as if, if you draw your away games, I guess you'll be, you'll be, I guess, somewhat happy. Um, and I think, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but uh, last year, I think, and I think the previous season uh, when we went to Burnley away, it was, it was freezing. It was like below zero or close. Um, and uh, one of the things that I was kind of hoping for the traveling fans was that it was going to be nice. Um, and instead it was just pouring rain and not, not warm at all. So uh, sorry, everyone. Uh, you went, you did all that. You drove all the way there and then you had to put up with the crappy game and the weather. So uh, enjoy that. But, um, I don't know anything else that needs talking about in the first half or, or should we move on to the second half and kind of get into uh, some of these things that maybe we don't necessarily want to talk about as much? Yeah, I think that in all honesty, that was sort of the tale of the first half pretty well put for, for me actually at halftime. 
I think that Hazan Hootel needed to make at least one substitute. I, I think that um, it became clear that we weren't breaking down Burnley in that first half. And although you can't really legislate for the individual errors that would follow, I think he could have managed the game a little bit better. Um, I'm not normally critical of Hazan Hootel because I think he he very rarely puts a foot wrong with us. But in my opinion, he should have introduced either Buffal or Gineppo for rings at half-time and maybe played as an orthodox wide player behind Adams because we needed dribblers and we needed players who could evade challenges and break lines with individual quality. But I felt Ralph let us fall behind a little bit before actually being proactive in his changes, which was unlike him. Is there any reason for that or is it just maybe a... Is it just a mistake? I mean, everybody makes them, and and up, but up until then, up until now, I, I think it's really been difficult to criticize much of what he's done. Um, do you think it was just a case of wanting, I guess, wanting to give that front three another fifteen minutes together to try to to try to create something, or do you? I mean, I, I guess we're just, we're just speculating on on what his thought process was, but do you have any ideas to as to why he did that? Yeah, I think it might have been as simple as trying to give sort of the likes of Ings, Redmond, and Adams that time to gel. They looked very good together as a trio in three seasons. So it's definitely understandable, but some games require that that proactivity, that in-game management. And I just, I felt as though we needed to make a change a bit earlier and we needed to really put Burnley on the back foot instead of allowing them to continuously grow into the game and play in a style of, of match and, and the brand of football that suits them so well. Now, as the, as the second half kind of went on, the game seemed a bit more open, maybe a little bit more stretched. And I thought that was when we were going to be, you know, stronger. I thought that was going to be good for, for us because I think I thought it was going to give us, you know, more opportunity to be able to press, but it, it still didn't. It seemed just, uh, for a while there counterattack and, and then counter counterattack. And I don't know, I thought we would have been able to deal with that a little bit better than, than we did. But, um, into the 63rd minute, um, I saw people, uh, blame both Vestergaard and gun. Um, maybe Gunn could have done better. Initially, I didn't. I didn't think Gunn had anything to do with it. I thought that's that that ball needs to be headed away, and then everybody's fine. Um, but uh, maybe I just put my head down after Vestergaard missed it, and then I, I didn't see what Gunn did there. But um, in terms of of that first goal uh, from Barnes, who always seems to score against us, um, does that fall on Vestergaard for you, or is that is that Gunn, or is it is is the blame shared because it's, nothing's black and white really? I think, to tell you the truth, I think it is Vestergaard, mainly. I think that it's, it's, not, it's not a case of Gunn being completely to blame. I do feel as though he could have done a little bit better with the shot. I think that for a, for a striker to score from about 15 yards, for it to actually go through a goalkeeper's legs, I question, you know, was, that, was the goalkeeper focused? Was he on his toes? Was he able to get down quick enough? So I think that questions can be asked of Gunn. But even more questions should be asked of Vestergaard because that is a routine ball. You know exactly what you're going to get from Burnley. They're going to send high balls up to you. You as a central defender need to be prepared for that. And I don't even have a clue what he was trying to do. He was nowhere near that ball when he attempted to head it. And he could have done with just sort of taking, taking a little bit of a step back, backtracking a little bit. And then that chance never happens. So for me, I'm a big fan of Vestergaard. I, I do actually think that he has got a lot to offer us. I think that Towards the end of the season, when he wasn't in the team, we did miss him, mm-hmm. but that's that's not acceptable. It's not excusable at this level, and it had shades of that mistake he made away at Cardiff in Hasenhutel's first game, and uh-huh. ultimately his mistake did 
turned the tide of the match, and it it, it was the catalyst for our for our demise in that in that fixture. Yeah, I, the, him missing that header yesterday, and then Barnes being able to slot it away, really, it, it, it everything crumbled after that, and it's just a routine mistake but maybe i mean maybe it's the weather maybe it's the wind whatever it is but he's got to know that he's got to know that you know, what what he's dealing with and just play it safe and um i don't think it was laziness or anything like that i just think it was a misjudgment maybe maybe us falling asleep a little bit um but i mean that's just that 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 break that that mental breakdown or or that misjudgment really really did cost us um and they didn't really give us time to recover uh, they almost immediately, I think, scored the second goal, and and for you, uh, I saw some some guys in the, in the Patreon chat. They were uh, thinking we kind of fell asleep a little bit on that. I really thought it was a good ball from Peters and a good finish again, but um, they just seemed to cut our defense out with that 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 cross. Uh, but what did you make of the second goal? Yeah, I think I do agree with you. I don't, I don't think uh, the cross from Eric Peters has actually been given enough credit. It was a brilliant ball in and a brilliant finish, but this is Burnley. You know exactly the way they want to play. You know they're going to try and play high balls in from deep. And yet again, we we were well aware of the team that we were up against, but we did absolutely nothing to to stem the the delivery from Peters. And, and and it's not like and it's not like we made an effort to halt Barnes. He just ghosted in behind Vestergaard, and he was unmarked. He had all the time in the world to see the ball drop onto his foot, and then. Gunn's got no chance. So it's it's just that typical lackadaisical defending that has seen us fall into relegation battles in the past two seasons. And we have to eradicate it because otherwise it's going to be another season of it. But yeah, it, it was a it was a good goal from Burnley's perspective, but it's nothing that Saints shouldn't have expected. It was nothing that was un-Burnley-like. It was predictable. And it was, in my opinion, avoidable. So it's it's a frustrating goal to concede. And when that second goal goes in, the whole team's then deflated mm-hmm. after being stunned by the, by the opener. And that was it for us. Yeah. At that point, I don't think there was any hope of us getting anything out of the game. At least from the, from what I had seen so far, I mean, I, I can hope really, but that's, that would have been all it was, but based on what I had seen throughout the day, uh, just, and, and just the, the body language of all the players, once that happened, it, it didn't look like it was going to come off for us today. And that was, that was just what it was. But, um, Eventually, the there are some changes made. Obafemi comes in for Ings. Uh, we we switch to a back four with Hoiberg coming in for Stevens, um, and Buffal comes on to replace Adams. Which the announcers here, or the commentators, I should say, uh, were a little bit shocked with. But um, I'm not sure Adams had the best game, and I'm not sure it's it's his fault or whose fault it is. But I don't think he he didn't look as uh, as maybe dynamic or as I'm not exactly sure what what words to use, but he didn't he didn't look like he had it as much as he had during some of those those early preseason matches. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it was a combination of things. I think that Adams, if he if he sticks away that early chance, maybe it's a different story. Mm-hmm. But I think that ultimately, Burnley's two central defenders, Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky, had very very good games. They were they were very strong. They read the game well, and they did keep our strikers quiet. I think that. Adams did look energetic and he did get himself about a bit, but okay. it, it wasn't it wasn't a good debut for him. And, and in all honesty, I think he should have been sent off. I think we were quite lucky to to escape that. So if there's one positive to take from the game, it's that we'll have Jay Adams for the next three. But yeah. I mean, we might not we might not have been so lucky on another day. Yeah, and they didn't even give him a yellow for that. I mean, there was nothing, and that challenge was definitely high and late. And 
look to be out of frustration. So you, you kind of line all those things up and think, man, he probably should have been gone there. But um, yeah, I, I'm glad he's glad he's glad he's still around. Um, the third goal, I don't even know uh, what what really to say about it. I think at that point the wheels have completely fallen off, and I think all of us probably just wanted the game to end if or not to get any worse. Um, and I don't know. Do you do you have thoughts on the on the third goal, or do, is there anything to be said there? You see, you see goals like this scored quite often in the Premier League when a team's two 0 down or three 0 down, and they kind of pack in. In all honesty, they just sort of it, it, there's sort of that acknowledgement that there's no way back into the match, and although it's not good, it does happen. And, and Bertrand lost his focus completely. He he shied away from the challenge, and it was sloppy. You expect more from an experienced head like that, and a a player who's been reliable for us over a number of years, but credit to Goodmanson because it was an excellent finish and, you know, he gave Gunn no chance. So that third goal was pathetic defending from us, but you've got to give Burnley credit as well because the three goals that they did score were all very well taken. And I mean, people online jumping on Ryan Bertrand for that, I think it's acceptable to give him some stick for, for the way he went about that and then pulling out of the challenge and, even just not putting his body in front of Goodmanson. And even if you concede a free kick there, you take a yellow card, whatever it is, um, hanging the leg out there and then going down. I mean, granted, he probably did get racked across the shins, but it was a, a fair challenge, I think. Um, is it is it is it fair to, to you know, I, I don't I think it's fair to criticize him for what he did there and, and how that how that happened. I don't think it's necessarily that. um I'm not quite sure he's he's not the best left back we have. I think he's still the guy that need that's going to be starting that needs to be starting and and I'm comfortable with him starting especially in in a system where if, whether we're going to be playing wing backs or just a standard back four. I think he is the best guy for the job and I'm not sure if you agree with that or if you think it's we we should have done something in the transfer window to to kind of give him some more competition. No, I think I think I am still comfortable with Bertrand, but I don't put it this way if we were to sell him next summer or if we were to have sold him in the summer and we were to replace him with a younger more intense left back I don't think I'd have lost any sleep over it so to speak I think that he is still one of our best players I do think he's still a reliable player but for I think a couple of seasons now he's not really been on top form whether you put that down to other factors such as the management or not I don't know but errors like yesterday can't happen again we know he is a capable player. We know he's good at both ends of the pitch, but that kind of casual, overconfident, occasionally even arrogant approach has, has been on show a few times sort of throughout his Saints career. And as long as he nips it in the bud and he, and he ensures that it doesn't happen again, we'll, we'll be fine because he is a very good player and we do need him to play well if this system is to work because Hasenhutl depends on his fullbacks, especially in the system that involves wingbacks. To be to be crucial to be outlets down the wing, and we need him to be on top form. Yeah, and I think maybe that display that he had yesterday, especially for for the third goal, that's the type of thing that loses you the captaincy in the long run. You know, we, you can't have that from your captain, um, and that's that's something that needs to be, I think, corrected. And I guess that's also just, I, I think that's just how I approach things. I think I would have expected a little bit more from him. And I like him. I I like Ryan Merchant a ton. Uh, and like you said, I think he is uh, you know fully capable. But I think that he does have the um, a history of kind of doing stuff like that, which which he, we need to correct. And hopefully, uh, you know, you wonder what Hassan Hoodle said in the dressing room afterwards and what that what that ride home was like. It couldn't have been 
uh, a super pleasant time for anybody. Um, cause even afterwards uh, I watched, I just rewatched the, uh, the post-match interview with him on, on the Southampton website. And, um, uh, as Adam Blackmore said, he's maybe the most dejected I've ever seen him. Um, just not happy, not there, there's no, uh, not even any kind of angry energy there. It's just kind of, uh, monotone and, and, and I don't know, just, just relatively just almost like he was shell shocked as to what happened because that team that we saw just didn't seem to, to look like the same team we had seen, um, throughout preseason and what we had hoped for, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I'm very much of the same opinion. I've, I've not seen Ralph look like that ever. Um, he seemed as shell shocked as the rest of us as to what we'd seen, you know, optimism was of the essence. We were all, we were all very sort of positive and, you know, I for one actually thought we were going to win yesterday. Yeah. So to, to, to come out with a, a performance like that was, was shocking. And, and it was, it was really, really surprising. I think for a lot of people, including him, because he's a, he's a meticulous man. And I'm, I'm sure that the planning for the match was, was as it usually is, it, you know, very, very good and very in depth, but, it looked like we we didn't have a clue what team we were up against. We we weren't aware of their strengths, and as such, Burnley took advantage. Yeah. Um, now, does anybody in the team come out of this game having impressed you at all? Or because I, I don't, I'm not sure anybody. I, I look at anybody's performance yesterday and say like, you know, at least, you know, they showed me something. And and I tend to try to look for some sort of positive, but. Um, anybody yesterday come out, whether it was even Bufal or, or Obafemi coming on later on, anybody, anybody kind of, I don't know, impress you at, at all? Uh, impressed? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, I thought Redmond was probably the best of a bad bunch, but he was probably the only player who was, you know, a five out of 10 and not a four out of 10 or a three out of 10. If you know what I mean? So it's, it's, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not drawing any positives from yesterday, if I'm honest. <laughs> no, I, I think that's fair. I think I was, I mean, like I said, I can hope that somebody else saw it, but I, I, I didn't either. So I, no, no problem there. Um, but let's, let's move on. Uh, obviously Liverpool comes to town next weekend. That's not an easy game. They looked pretty damn good, uh, on Friday night. Um, I mean, it, I, I'm not going to look forward to the end of the month and, and, going into the first international break and think, you know, we're going to be without any points or anything else, but we definitely have to, we definitely have to play better than, than yesterday. If we play like yesterday, um, it'll be last season all over again, but I, I think it's too early to, to do that. And at least for me, I think this is when you just kind of move on. Like you, you say that wasn't great. We need to do better and learn from it. And I think, and then this is maybe naive of me to say, but I think that, I think we will look better against Liverpool, even if we lose. I don't think we will, the scoreline might wind up being the same, but I think we as a team will look better simply because the style of football that they play allows Ralph's style to, uh, to, to be shown a little bit more. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I, I really do. I think that it is against teams like Burnley who sit back and soak up pressure and don't rely on moving forward with the ball that we do struggle against because we're, we're unable to press. We can't play as intensely as we like to. Whereas Liverpool will come out and they will they will be expected to dominate the game and they will be the ones who are likely to play on the front foot. So it might suit us better with a more counter-attacking approach and that could well see the likes of, I don't know, perhaps Gineppo, Buffal, maybe even Shane Long come in because, you know, we're going to need that pace on the break and we're going to need to play 
vertical penetrative football because we won't get many chances against Liverpool. So when we do, we have to make the most of them. So I, I don't I don't see us getting anything from that game. Mm-hmm. It is something of a free hit, but I wouldn't say that they're unbeatable. I think we saw against Norwich when they played them on Friday night that they're not they're not perfect. They they are vulnerable. They did surrender a few chances. And if Saints can create a few and maybe cause them some problems, then we could make it an uncomfortable game for them. But it all comes down to ifs and buts and we just can't we can't be like we were yesterday because it can be a cricket score. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, well, let's let's move on. And and we talked for the season preview and you had uh, asked you to kind of rate the window at the time when we spoke, which was, I think was about a week before the season, pre- or uh, a little over a week, I think, before before the window closed. But at that point, you had given them a five out of 10 uh, for the team. And and I think my rating at that point was, was uh, maybe a little higher than that, but not much. Um now jumping to the end of the window, we can't bring any, any anybody else in. Uh, we can still have some people leave, which I think is is, an, is is something that needs to happen. But where where do we stand now, having brought um, Danzo in, uh, addressed maybe the center back issue at least a little bit? He's still young, but we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, how how do we do? Has your rating changed of, of the club's performance in the transfer window at all? Yeah, it, it absolutely has, and. I put a t- I put a tweet out when Danzo signed, perhaps prematurely, saying that it had gone from like a five out of ten to a nine out of ten. Maybe it's an eight or a nine, but but equally I look at it and I think that we had some key areas that we needed to strengthen in the summer. I looked at it and I thought it was a centre back, striker, and maybe a winger, and we did all of that. We did we did strengthen, in my opinion, the three areas that were in need of it. So I still look at the transfer window as a success. Maybe we're lacking a a holding midfielder with Lamina likely to leave still. But I thought the business was good. We significantly strengthened the attacking options and Danzo will be an upgrade on the options sort of currently at Ralph's disposal at the back. I mean, with, with Danzo coming in late, uh, he was never going to start on, on Saturday, but he is young. Um, I wouldn't say Oxford had a, had a very great season last year, but um, do you see him coming in and and taking the place of uh, I, I guess where do you see him slotting in in the back line? Do you do you see him coming in as as and playing the middle of that of that center back uh, back three, or do you do you do you foresee him maybe taking the place of Vestergaard on the left, or what do you see happening? I think logic would suggest that in in a back five we would see him come in for Jack Stevens, um, perhaps as the central defender in the back three because Bednarek and Vestergaard have tended to operate on the right and the left respectively. But after the game against Burnley, I think if Danzo is to is to come in against Liverpool. I can see Vestergaard dropping out. Danzo's a mobile defender. He's quite dynamic, whereas Vestergaard is probably our slowest defender. He, you know, he on the turn, he's not he's not especially good. No. And against against Liverpool, who have got an incredible front three, packed with pace and dynamism and energy and trickery, he could struggle. Um, it would be a bit of a baptism of fire to give Danzo his debut in the Premier League against Liverpool uh-huh. because you're up against a world-class trio of attacking players. But I look at it and I think that we do need that dynamic kind of defender. So if I'm honest, I wouldn't be surprised to see Yoshida, Danzo and Bednarek start yeah. against Liverpool because Yoshida are in for Stevens maybe to, to provide a more experienced, reliable head. But Danzo in for Vestigar to provide a little bit more, a bit more dynamism and a little bit more quality if we do need to track back if a ball's been played in behind I think we've just got maybe a better chance of coping with Liverpool's attacking flair 
with a player who can, you know, at the very least match Salah or Mane for pace should it be required. Yeah, I mean, that, that was exactly what I was going to say is I could see that, you know, Bednarak staying in and, and Yoshida coming in uh, centrally and maybe Danzo playing on the left. And I think that would be, I mean, you think just in terms of matching up against Liverpool, that might not be a bad a bad option. But also, I'm not even sure he's he's come in and trained and done anything with the team yet. So I don't know if he'll be ready for that or if if Hasenhut will be ready for that or comfortable with that. But um, he seems to he seems to meet kind of all the requirements that Hasenhut was looking for and that the club is looking for. And I think I think looking at the transfer window, I think the club has maybe returned to. Uh, having that clear strategy, that clear kind of idea of what they want, what they're looking for, and and going after those players, and I think all of the, all of the players that we sign fit that profile uh, very very well. Um, and I think that that mostly the, the the outgoing players, I think that's a holdover from kind of previous regimes, and 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 maybe giving in to a manager who wants a player or something like that. That I think is going to take time to 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 rectify. But I think for me, I would have. And maybe this is this is unpopular or just wrong. If if I was given the choice between getting Danzo in or clearing out all of the deadwood, you know, all of the players that that are are sucking up wages and that are not making that are not going to make the lineup and not going to even play, I would have taken getting rid of them because I think that hampers us going forward in future windows when we we need to make an addition, uh, when we need to make a signing where we want to make um, maybe have the chance to sign uh, that that player that's going to cost you a little bit more. And you can't do it simply because you have all these other guys on there. I would have taken uh, getting rid of a, kind of clearing out, uh, even even in a sense what we did with Jordy Classy, where you determine the contract and call it good, and he moves on. Uh, I think I would have taken that over signing the center back. Not that I'm not happy with doing it, because I definitely think that the center back was an issue. But um, I don't know. Do do you? Uh, does that make sense to you, or or is that just me being an idiot? No, I don't know. I think that's completely understandable. I personally, for me, the Signing a centre back was the priority for the window, so I think we we share the same view that it is it is great that we've finally got one in. But as you said, the, the deadwood that is there, it just lingers. Fraser Force has just lingered for a couple of years, and Wesley Hoot is still on our books. Elianusi, awful last season, still on our books. Ido Carrillo, we can't seem to shift him. These players are taking up so much wages, and we just. They have no use here. There's, there's no purpose for them. And it might sound harsh, but they have to go. And if we are to move forward as a club, we need to trim that squad. Ralph's often said that he likes to work with 21, 22 players. And right now, I, I imagine we've got somewhere close to 30. Uh-huh. And there are still players here who don't fit the style, don't fit the ethos, and are just simply turning up to training, picking up their pay packet and going home. We yeah. can't have that. Yeah. We, we're not... Top clubs don't accept that. And this isn't me saying we're a top club, or even that we have aspirations to be a top club, even if we should. But that isn't acceptable at any, at any level. And in an ideal world, these players would go. But quite rightly, like you said, we are paying for the mistakes of the previous regime, and, and we can't shift these players. So we've only got ourselves to blame, but it's frustrating nonetheless. Yeah. Um I guess last question on this on this part of it, but how much of an improvement was this window over windows of previous uh, previous seasons? And can you? I mean, how far back do you have to go for us to to really say we to to find a window that was as good as this for for the for the club? 
Yeah, so I think this window was pretty good in, in comparison to the others. I think that the players who we've signed clearly do fit a style and an ethos that Hazem Hootel's employing, which is different to previous windows when we've simply signed a player for their individual quality rather than their suitability. But these are young players and time will tell. We're going to need to be patient. I, I think that over some windows there, there's been a case of we signed two or three good players, but then there have been one or two that have either been a bit questionable unnecessary or they've gone on to be awful um but terrible tell we need to be patient with these young players i think that the three we have signed are good i think that there is definitely the potential that they can emerge as key parts of our team for years to come but it's very difficult because because they do they do still have a lot to prove a lot of them are still inexperienced and we need to see how they adapt to the Premier League and how they adapt to the demands and the needs that we currently have. Yeah, nothing's a guarantee, right? Like none of these guys are guaranteed to succeed or improve or some of them may wind up sucking up wages and, and, and being you know awful, but we just have to kind of hope that the, the scouting team has, has nailed it on as, as they did so many times before. Um, you kind of go back to windows under Kuman and things like that. The, it seemed that we hit every player, even if even if they were somewhat inconsistent, even if Mane needed to some time to bet in, and Tadic had seasons where he wasn't uh, maybe as great. Um, overall, I think all of those players were 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 you know good signings, and and uh, they definitely made the football enjoyable to watch, which I think we will get to um, uh, as time goes on. But um, I, I, for me now, I, I would you mind jumping into some of the some of the listener questions? We have quite a few. We definitely won't get to all of them, but we uh, we can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, people can send in questions. Uh, they can get in contact on Twitter or Instagram at SFCDELL underscore IVERY or respond to the post on Facebook. And patrons of the show also get priority for having their questions answered in addition to having uh, a private chat and uh, an occasional, uh, not an occasional, an extra podcast episode per month. So uh, we have a question from a patron and we can start with that if that's okay. Um, yeah. This one comes from Millard505 on Instagram, who is one of the patrons of the show. He says, do you think Danzo can come in and make a difference in defense straight away? Or do you think Ralph will introduce him slowly across the season? We kind of talked about it. Um, how likely do you think it is that he comes into the team next week against Liverpool? I think it wouldn't have been likely if we'd maybe lost 1-0 yesterday. But I think that after after what we saw at Turf Moor, I think that... Uh, I think Ralph will probably look to integrate him as soon as possible. Whether or not he can make an immediate impact, I don't know. We have some tough fixtures. And he's just 20 years old. So it's a big pressure to put on him. Um, I think he will improve our defence, but patience is going to be necessary. He's a young player in a new league, working with different teammates and new systems. So we we can't expect him to come in and, and be Van Dyke. We, you know, we have to take time with him. But... I think if I'm in Ralph's shoes, I'm putting him in against Liverpool because quite simply, it can't get any worse, can it? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Um, and and a, a young center back, that's one of those places where um, I think young attackers are allowed to make mistakes. You're allowed to lose the ball when you're dribbling at people and running at people or you're allowed to misplace a pass and it happens all the time. Uh, even if you watch Manchester City or Liverpool, they misplace passes and you know lose the ball in these kind of little intricate one-twos and things like that. And that's fine. That's acceptable. But as a center back, generally, that's one of those things where you just need to clear the ball away. Um, or at least that's old school defending is just get the ball away and, and, and keep it simple. But um, that is one of those things where you, you, you guys actually reach their peak, I think, later on in their career. So, so to, to 
put in a young center back like that, that is definitely asking uh, maybe for, for some, some trouble. Um, but I think, I think it, it's very likely to happen and we'll see, uh, hopefully he comes in and just does the little things right. And, and we'll all be happy and move on. And, um, I just want him to have some confidence going forward. I don't want him to, uh, you know, come in and just be dejected as if he has a, a bad first match out against, a you know, one of the best, uh, I, I guess the champions of Europe. So, uh, you know, there it is. Um, Dan, who's at Holy Hoiberg, asks his thoughts on playing a back five in against teams like Burnley, where you'll know you have the majority of ball possession. Uh, does that concern you, or is that just Ralph making the best of of the the squad that he has available and not maybe trusting uh, the the defenders to be able to do it in a back four? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think that it does come towards that trust in the defenders. I think that it's been clear since he came in that. He's always sort of favoured or, or wanted to favour moving towards the back four. He wants to play 4 2 2 2. We're well aware of that. But I think that we do need to take games against Burnley as though we are the favourites. We, we do need to look at it and think these are the games that we need to win or uh, not lose at the very, very least if we are going to climb up the table. Personally, I don't see Burnley climbing higher than 15th in the league this season. So for them to have beaten us 3 0. Very concerning. You know, that's that's a shocking result. It's awful. It's not acceptable. And it was humiliating yesterday. I felt embarrassed. So I think that moving away from the five at the back against teams like that, or maybe on a more permanent basis, could be, could be better because I'm not sure that it actually does give us more solidity because it does vacate a little bit more space in midfield, as you quite rightly alluded to earlier on. And we can get played through quite easily sometimes. Whereas with a more narrow shape like the four-two-two-two, with regards to you know holding holding the midfield a little bit tighter and con- constraining the space, I think that we'd be a little bit more resolute defensively. So it's finding a balance. It's it's finding the players who can play in the back four and who are better in the back five. It's also finding the balance in the midfield. But against teams like Burnley, yeah, I agree. We we do need to we do need to take the game to them a little bit more. And sometimes that might involve changing our approach and not playing the way we do. Because as I've said, if, you, if you're relying on a long ball to initiate a counter-press, it's not going to work because they are the best long ball team in the division. So Ralph is an intelligent man. He's a very, very good manager. He's tactically astute and he will see these things. It's just about adapting. And the Premier League, if you stand still, you will get left behind and you have to adapt. You have to be proactive and you have to make sure that when you play a team, you need to adapt to ensure that your strengths are being utilised the best, but you're also exploiting the opposition's weakness. We played into Burnley's strengths yesterday and if we do it against Liverpool, we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a question from a Burnley fan, actually, and uh, I thought it was, I was surprised to get it and I, I doubt that Johnny Lipton is going to listen, but I think it'll, it'll benefit us all to talk about it a little bit here. Uh, so he is at JLUP1980. Um, he says, Burnley fan here. I was chatting to a few Saints fans before the game, a lovely bunch, by the way, uh, about how I thought you were going to be mid-table this season. Going off today, I'd say Adam Zings and Redmond are too similar, though. Um, have you got an effective plan B? And um, I mean, honestly, maybe something I hadn't thought of too much. I, I think that 
I tend to think of, of Ings as someone who will drop a little bit deeper, who will get on the ball, who will create chances, necess- uh, maybe, maybe more than the other, maybe more than Adams, not necessarily more than Redmond. Um, I think Redmond, although he can play centrally, I think is, is better um, coming in from the left. And I don't know, I, I, can see, I can see Adams and, or sorry, Ings and Redmond kind of uh, alternating, kind of playing behind the other two maybe. Um, but I would expect Adams to to kind of play more of that that central striker role. But um, do I mean looking at our options and things like that? Uh, do we have? Is there a plan B for for days like like Burnley away where we we can't seem to uh, initiate the press because of the, of the way the opposition is playing? And do we have a way to uh, to combat that? Do we have uh, a target man, which I think you know we've talked about before? Um, what, what what is our plan B if we have one? And, and if not, what do we? What do you think Hasenhutl does in this situation next time? Yeah, I think that there are sort of two elements to answer that question. I think that, firstly, the plan B is personnel. I think that we do have different styles of player. I think, as you said, Redmond likes to drop deep a little bit more, and he's a technically gifted attacker. Same kind of goes for Ings, but in Gineppo, for example, off the bench, you can bring in a player who favours running at defenders, someone who is you know, very, very quick, very direct. And in Bufo, you've got a player who can beat a man and break a line with with trickery and with that guile and with that dribbling quality. So in terms of personnel, I think we do have enough to have a plan B. But the other element of it is that Hasenhutl historically has preferred his plan B to be flexibility and tactical adaptability. So he likes his teams to be comfortable changing systems in games. He likes to have two, three, sometimes even four strings to his team's bow. So reverting to four at the back yesterday was probably the plan B. Um, but if Hazard Hazel probably wants that to be the plan back, the plan A, but he doesn't maybe feel as though he's in a position to do that. But that tactical shift and that reverting to a different change probably came a bit too late and the game was already lost. Yeah, I I, I think that you look at the number of attackers we have and it's it's been an it's been an issue in the recent seasons where we haven't we haven't had those options where it's been kind of um, we could change the midfield, we can change the defenders around, but the the attacking options just weren't there. And I think that's changed now. I think with Buffal coming back, like you said, um, and and offering you something different than you have, I think Redmond. I think Redmond's going to be in the team each and every week unless he's hurt. I think he has nailed that down and earned that. And I hope that he continues to. I think I think I am at least expecting him to to continue to progress and not necessarily. Um, as much as you did from uh, during last season, I don't think that's necessarily a, a, a fair expectation. I don't think people just make jump leaps and bounds year after year after year, but um, a little bit of improvement from him and uh, learning how to work with Adams and Ings a little bit better, I think will be, will be good. But I think the, like you said, the options that we have there, we have, we have plenty of pace, whether it's Obafemi or long or whoever it is that comes in um, and, and to chase balls down and do, th- do those kind of things. I think will be, will be all right. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think we have the the personnel there to do it. Um, oh, let's see. I think. I, I mean, I'm looking at some of the other questions. Do you see any of the other ones that you are are dying to answer? I think we talked about some of them and said, "What well, you know?" Uh, LJ underscore Cecil from Instagram says, uh, "What went wrong?" The first half seemed promising, then we fell off. I think we talked about that a little bit. Um, I mean, I am Ben Malik says, how well do you think Saints will do uh, against Man United and Liverpool knowing that we lost 3-0 to Burnley? Um, 
I guess the, looking forward to those two first home games of the season, do you see anything coming from those or do you think those are, are let, let's just get them out of the way now and move on with the rest of our season? I think the Liverpool game I'd always looked at as a bit of a write-off. I've always kind of looked at Liverpool and thought they are the champions of Europe. You can't expect us to get anything there. But I kind of fancied our chances against United. Um, I think there's a sense of mental fragility in that team still. Uh, and they're going to be a bit of an unknown quantity, but they've made some good signings. And following yesterday, it's hard to it's hard to look at a 3-0 defeat against Burnley to then confidently look at United and say, yeah, we'll do them. So they, they, they look a little bit scarier on paper after after the game yesterday, but we do tend to step up against the bigger teams. And as we've said, you know, we play better in space and Liverpool and United won't sit back and soak up pressure. They'll play on the front foot, but take the game to us and maybe that'll afford us some more opportunities in the final third. Yeah, absolutely. And they have not kicked off their game yet. They will play a little later on uh, at the time of recording. So we'll have to see how they, how they go about their business. Um, yeah. Um, I saw somebody uh, respond to, to the, the thing on This is the last thing before we, we have one more question, but um somebody responded to the Instagram post that I put up yesterday asking for the, the, the mini match reaction. So three words just to, to kind of sum up the, the match. Um, there were a lot of curse words in there uh, and everything else, but somebody said Hassan Hoodle under pressure. Um, and, and to me, I don't know if that's just a, an overreaction and I don't want to minimize anybody's opinion. That's not what I'm trying to do, but I think it's entirely too early to to say anything like that. I don't think Hassan Hoodle's under any pressure. I think that the board and the team are fully invested in the project that he is is putting together, um, and I think they are on board with it. And I think he's on board with what the club wants to do. Um, do you, I mean, what what what's your opinion on that? Does is it is it, is he under pressure at all? Based on if we have more performances like that, even you know finishing out this month and going into the first international break, if we get there with zero points. Is he is he going to be? He's not going to be sacked, is he? No, no, um, no. I I, uh, I don't think he's under pressure at all. I think that the Premier League is an unforgiving division, uh, and it, and it does it doesn't take any prisoners. But if if we if we continue to play the way we are, then there are fundamental issues because you look towards the back end of last season at how we played, and it's it's completely completely different. So. If you think Hasenhut was under pressure, I'd like to see who you think would come in and do any better. Sure, this is a guy who's who was in the Champions League, right? Second place in the Bundesliga. Yeah. He's he chose to come to a relegation threatened team in m- the middle of the season when nobody, you know, would have wanted that job, and uh, and say, yeah, I'll do it, and did it. And I don't know. I can't. I can't see us. I can't see us getting anybody better for for some time. Um, Anyway. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I don't. I think that you can criticise fairly anyone. Any anyone can be criticised, and I think I speak for the vast majority of Saints fans and say that we all we all do love having Hootel and we think that he's great. I think he did some things wrong yesterday. I think that he he didn't he didn't he didn't adapt to what the game required. But I still think he's a fantastic manager and. In all honesty, I think we're extremely lucky to have him, and I think he can do a lot better than us. So, I would, you know, if ever it gets to the stage where Hasenhutl is under pressure, I'd in, I'd encourage you to be careful what you wish for because I don't see we I don't see us getting anyone who 
will play a more exciting brand of football when he can and a manager who gets the club and gets the history and gets the ethos that have been long-standing over a number of years more than he does. And I do still think that he is the best man for the job. And I think that it will get to the stage where we're gutted to lose him instead of calling for his head. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, last question here from Jim, who's at Hoiberg season. Uh, he said, would be interesting to know how Luke Osman got into writing and how uh, I got into making podcasts. Um, I think I've asked you this way, way a long time ago, but just for anybody who didn't, uh, wasn't present uh, early on in the podcast, uh, what, I mean, how did you get into writing in, in the first place? Did you uh, just enjoy, you know, English class and, and writing, uh, you know, nice compositions about, um, you know, British poets and things like that? Or what, what got you into it? Yeah, so I'm 19 now. And when I was 15 years old, I got into writing uh, a little bit more in my spare time. I'd always quite enjoyed creative writing in English classes when I was at school. But I started up my own blog to talk about Saints. It was the summer before Koeman's second season, so 2015. Um, I got some good feedback from some people on Facebook and Twitter, kind of just trying to get my work out there when I, where I could. And then Reed Southampton was brought to my attention. And since then, I've just sort of climbed up the ladder at the company and continued to, to keep going and into other publications. So I decided that it was the career path I wanted to follow. And writing about football was, was a passion of mine. And that's how I really got into it. It was blending what I perceived to be one of my academic strengths with an interest of mine. And I'm, I'm fortunate now that I'm in a position where I can write about football and in particular write about Saints and get paid for it. it it's, it's, you know, it's a nice job to have and I'm very fortunate to the people who have given me the opportunity to do so. So hopefully I can continue bringing Saints fans particularly good content, enjoyable content that they can resonate or even disagree with because ultimately we all share the same love and the same desire for the club to do well and in, in doing so we all have different opinions on how that can be achieved. So the debate's good and, you know, if, if people will like my work then I'm I'm doing something right and that's that's the main thing. I just want to make sure that my writing is of a high standard, first and foremost, but something that something that our fans can can come to and can can click on one of my articles and know that it will be a decent read. That's the kind of thing that I'm looking for. And as I've said, if anyone wants to hop on Read Southampton and have their own say, they're more than welcome to just get in contact. And that's what it's all about. It's all about giving fans a voice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's one of those things that when I publish something, when I do this podcast, I I ask myself every single week, like, is this is this a show that I would want to listen to? Do I would I enjoy turning this on and getting the stuff that I'm getting, whether it's and that goes to everything from from how the audio is presented and dealt with to um to the type of questions that I try to ask to the you know even questions like this where I genuinely enjoy hearing kind of how you got into things because I think that's that's important and I want to have a conversation about it and I'm I think sometimes people think that uh I, I had a, actually a couple of really horrible emails come through um to just prove you're not going to make everybody happy with what you do um but uh earlier this week just after the uh after the preview episode actually so uh, that was great um but I mean you're not gonna make everybody happy but I don't necessarily consider myself an expert i consider myself somebody who's who's learning about the team and learning about the game constantly and i'm i'm a late comer to the the game of football and i just i really enjoy learning about stuff so 
the fact that I get to learn about the team and different styles of play. And when a new manager comes in or a new player comes in, all this stuff, I, that is what I really enjoy about it. But, um, I asked myself kind of, I, I think you, you probably do too, just, you know, what I want to read this, this is something I would enjoy doing. And if that's the case, then I'm, I'm proud of what I put out. Um, I think you are proud of what you put out and if, whether people agree or disagree, um, kind of creating that, that, that space for people to have that discussion, I think is, is extremely, uh, important. So, um, in terms of how I got into making this podcast, uh, at the time when I was, uh, you know, at the time that I started it, there were none. It was, uh, the one that had been around for uh, several years, I think five years of, of, I think monthly episodes, um, had come to, to cease to exist based on just the movement of people, um, around, around Europe. And, I was a, a heavy podcast listener. I, I don't watch very much TV except for usually football. Um, and so a lot of my entertainment comes through podcasts. I, I enjoy uh, Football Weekly. I enjoyed the the Totally Football Show. Um, I enjoy a lot of other podcasts that don't have anything to do with, uh, with, with football. So um, the idea that there wasn't one, uh, I had found some, not, not some free time, but I had switched jobs at that point and had, I wasn't grading uh, uh, papers constantly and I needed to do, uh, needed to pick up a hobby. And, um, so I set out and I think I took like six months of, of listening to reading books about podcasting and listening to podcasts about making podcasts before I, I started. And I think it's come a long way. Still think I have a lot to learn about, about both podcasting and, uh, uh football, but that that's where that comes from me. And this is, this is, a. Uh, I don't know. I get nervous. I get butterflies every time before I, before I call somebody, you know, I when generally I type the same thing every single week. Like, is it okay to call you? And they say, you say yes, or they say yes, or somebody says, give me five minutes or whatever. Um, and I have butterflies the whole time and it's, it's, it's something that I, I enjoy. And, um, I enjoy just as much as I do watching saints, which is, which is nice because, uh, you mentioned you, you, know, you get to combine your passion of, of, of writing and, and, and saints. And I, I get to do the same thing with, with the podcast. So, uh, that's where that comes from. So, um, anyway, Luke, uh, thank you so much for, for sharing, uh, and for taking the time to come on the show and uh, talk about what we thought was going to be a nice result and turned out not to be so. No, thank you very much for having me. Hopefully as the season progresses, you get to host podcasts and talk about loads of convincing wins rather than the comprehensive defeat. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll happen. I'm sure. Um, and it, it, if it only happens, you know, 10 times this year, we'll, I'll just savor it all that much more and. Maybe that's giving us too much credit, but we'll we'll see. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, one more time for people who want to get in contact with you, whether it's just to to check out your articles or to potentially write. Uh, you're on Twitter at Luke Osman RS, and your email address uh, is escaping me off the top of my head. But if you could let that uh, let everybody know. Yeah, so uh, my Twitter is as you just said. You can find the bulk of my articles and write for us on www.readsouthampton.com. But my email address, if you want to get in contact that way, is luke at freshpressuk.com. All right. And I will uh, put links to all three of those things in the show notes so people can click uh, directly from there and get to it. But um, Luke, hopefully we'll talk to you later on in the season. And um, yeah, that sounds good. Thank you, Mike. that does it for this episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Luke Osman. You can find him on Twitter at LukeOsmanRS. You can get in touch with Reed Southampton, where you can find his writing at Reed Southampton. And if you're interested in contacting him via email, maybe because you want to write for Reed Southampton, 
You can do that at luke at freshpressuk.com. Links to all those are in the show notes. Do not hesitate to get in touch with them. Uh, and once again, Luke, it's always fantastic to chat with you. Thanks again for coming on, even after such an uninspiring game. Special thanks this week also goes out to Jeremy Orr. Thank you again for uh, riding shotgun all the way down to Los Angeles. Thanks for driving, first of all, uh, from your house in the Bay Area all the way down to Santa Maria to then get in the car and sit in traffic uh, for several hours to not watch Josh Sims play in MLS. Um, but nonetheless, the stadium was fun. Uh, the drive was fun. The conversation was great. Um, please keep some of those things I told you a secret. Uh, please, please do. If you're interested in following this show on social media, you can do that at SFCDELL underscore IVERY on Twitter and Instagram. We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. If you haven't done so yet, you can subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, ACAST, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or somewhere else. You can do that. The easiest way is to head over to SouthamptonDelivery.com uh, and click play. Click to the links there. You can subscribe. I'm trying to make it super easy. And the logo for the show comes courtesy of Matt Beeling. Our partner page is the Southampton page. And there you can get all of your Southampton FC news and needs. Stay up to date with everything that's going on at the club. Follow them on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The links are in the show notes. If you're interested in supporting the show above and beyond listening and sharing with friends and maybe leaving an iTunes review or two, uh, actually, you can only do it once. Uh, you can do that patreon.com forward slash SFC delivery. Uh, but please know that is not a requirement. You simply listening is what it's all about. Uh, and actually what it's all about is talking about this team and looking forward to next week, even though it is Liverpool. Um, eventually it will get better. Until next time, from the together, we march on. God, Finnegan, you stink.